Welcome back to How to Tickle Yourself. I'm your host, Duff McDonald, along with my co-host, Joey of Rockledge. Hello. I said this last week, and I'll say it again this week. We love talking to people who make music on this program. Why is that? Because musicians and singers know how to tickle the now. They take the present moment and using their instruments, their bodies, and their voices, they warp it into sound. In doing so, they allow us to hear the music of the cosmos, the potential symphony that's just sitting there, hiding behind the veil of now. And we love talking to them about how they do it. This week's guest comes to us courtesy of the great Betty McKeon, astrologer and mother-in-law extraordinaire. She introduced us to Virginia Schenk, a vocal artist and jazz performer who goes by the stage name B.A. a few weeks ago. We'll get to the good stuff when we talk to her, but let me give you a preview by reading a few things critics said about her fourth album, Battle Cry, released in 2020. It was described as, quote, a powerful salvo, one of my favorite words, <laughs> creativity on parade, which is just awesome to even think of, and explosive vocal jazz magic. And I would say as a jazz singer, it probably can't get much better than that. <laughs> She's a social activist. She conducts soul-inspiring singing journey retreats where she takes singers to places like the middle of Times Square to improvise amidst the chaos or to the ghost ranch in New Mexico to, quote, sing our bones alive. She is also a board-certified music therapist. She believes in the power of music, as do we. And if you need any further evidence of that, her company name is Airborne Ecstasy, LLC. <laughs> Enough said. Welcome to the show, Virginia. It is great to have you. Oh, I'm already tickled. I'm tickled. <laughs> Are you? There we I'm go. Excited. There, mission yeah. accomplished. Thanks for listening, people. We'll be back next week. <laughs> <laughs> present moment traveling town to town the mystery of the motion right here right now right here right now whoa right here right now So where, where do we start? Where do we start? Let, let's just go. Let's go with jazz. It's the most fun. How'd you make your way to jazz? How'd you become a jazz wow. singer? Okay. Um, that could take a long time. So I'll try <laughs> to be sort of succinct. Um, I grew up in a very musical family, but we had everything in the family. Um, parents would play everything. I was in, you know, church music, school music, musicals, etc. And I kept asking about jazz, but I was in Central Florida in the era that I grew up and my parents didn't really know where to take me and we didn't have that environment at that time. And so I just kept studying Western classical music and listening to what I could. And um, 
it wasn't really until I got to music school. I went to Florida State, the School of Music, and had to go through all the Western classical hoops, which was fun because I loved a lot of music, um, until I could really avail myself of jazz um, classes, which jazz was just then kind of entering the academic world um, and studied then. Um, but but still, I might say that jazz um, is still so so taught by ear, you know, on the scene, in the streets. And, you know, I'd study at school, I'd study piano. I was a, actually quite um, focused on piano in college, but um, but then I would go sing with my friends down at the bars, you know, um, afterwards or the restaurants or whatever. And then I also, you maybe read my bio that um, I became great friends with one of the drummers from the Allman Brothers who had... I did see that. I was... Yeah. Uh, you're, you're stealing my questions now. Sorry. <laughs> that, yeah. is, that is very exciting to me. How'd well, that happen? Well, you know, um, so then I was living in Macon, Georgia, working as a music therapist, a good day job for many, many years. And um, I was singing in a bar uh, after hours and... Um, there was a drummer there that night and somebody, this is so awful. Someone says there's a drum, there's a drummer here from the Almond Brothers. And I wasn't necessarily a fan. And I said, <laughs> that's great. Can you play jazz? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> well, he could. <laughs> and, and we became fast friends and, and I would spend a lot of hours at his house. He had a great vinyl collection and um, he turned me on to a lot of things that I didn't learn in school. Figure that out. <laughs> And um, ended up playing in a little band with him for a short while before the Almond Brothers band went on retro tours. But, um, you know, then I just uh, and then and then and had to creep into it and lay off for some years to raise a child and then jump back in. And then, then there are other people. But you might want to save that for other questions you're going to ask me. <laughs> You're going to steal my Bobby McFerrin question. That was coming. I saw that. Yeah. So, okay. So as a singer, what is it that draws you to jazz? What is it about it that, um, you know, makes it your thing? Okay. So first I have to just say, I love singing because it vibrates my body and it makes me feel good. Right. So Mm -hmm. then we have genres, whatever box you want to put it in. But I can just say that as a child, I would hear jazz and I would go, oh, yeah, that. I mean, so what does a child know? What does a child know? Um, Not that I don't love a good ballad and not that I haven't sung the Hallelujah Chorus a million times. I mean, like they, they all offer different things. But jazz was jazz vibrated me in a way that tickled me mm-hmm. more and delighted me and gave me freedom more than the others. And as I grew as a musician and as a human and, and got older and smarter and more experienced and wiser to work with that freedom, the improvisation that comes in jazz, that jazz has, um, and the spirit that we might say, or the soul that comes from our African brothers and sisters, that the gift that they've given us um, to express that deeply, I think is the gift. Mm -hmm. So it really is following your tickle. 
Like that's the whole, like it's with improvisation, right? You're letting it lead you rather than trying to clamp down and take control. Yeah. And sometimes that can be a little dance and you go, uh oh, <laughs> stop taking control. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know what we should do here? Um, Virginia has provided us with a clip just so that, you know, instead of talking about someone singing jazz, we can listen to someone sing a little bit here uh, so that listeners can uh, place her in that way in their minds. And then we'll get back to you. Hold to your own good. Dare your neighbor in this too. Serve each other. Don't compete. Bless each other. Don't condemn. Stand your hand to each other with honor and respect. For us to reach the American dream, we must bust these chains within. Can we find the path to freedom by the truth in our lives? Find the courage, hope, and strength. Stand tall. Resurrect ourselves. Wrecked ourselves and pay our dues. Hear my battle cry. I will live in well, that was beautiful. Okay. So I think we understand now uh, a little more about your tickle. So um, stepping back, it seems like you have like a multi-pronged thing going where you have, you do music like six ways, right? You have, you're a music therapist. Uh, you do these singing journeys uh, you um, merge music with social activism. So what is it, you know, what is it about um, music itself that, um, you know, carries you through your own life and is basically the anchor of all these things? Oh, my gosh. It's, this, <laughs> it's the center of life. It's my, uh, it's my muse. It's my divinity, if you will. It's, it's everything. It's the way I express, as Miles Davis would say, that thing, <laughs> that thing, we're trying to get to that thing. Um, It, it's just everything. And All right. So, so let's, so let's go specific. Yeah. The, the okay. singing journeys are fascinating to me. You, <laughs> you're like a travel agent who takes people on singing vacations. Tell okay, us about them. Isn't it crazy? Um, <laughs> well, I just, because it tickles me and, and I figure if, if I'm interested in this, surely other people are interested in this and they want to come with me and sing. Right. So um, essentially what I love to do is I love to teach people to improvise and improvise. There can be a large strata of that. And, and I say, if you can talk, you can sing and you can improvise. So come on. I take anybody of, of any ilk who wants to step up to the plate. Um, but I am greatly informed by other cultures and by nature and so I choose these places. You mentioned New York City and Ghost Ranch out in New Mexico. Um, I've taken groups to Ireland. I've taken groups down to the Gullah Coast, um, 
you know, on um, South Carolina and, you know, wherever you are, if it's the mountains, like if I'm singing in the mountains and I'm looking at the mountains, I feel and I'm going to sing differently than if I'm staring at the ocean or the desert or Times Square or on a concert stage or at bedside with an ailing loved one. I mean, all those are going to bring out different qualities of my voice. So I had done this for myself, improvising, singing, maybe doing a little writing in different lands. And I do love to travel, but but it's travel with a purpose. Um, I go out and I listen to the land and um, I particularly love places, you know, the ancient places like the UNESCO sites. I mean, really old um, standing stones. And, you know, I just can feel things and hear things. And, but also like, what is the food? What are the smells? You know, how does that inform you or being with the people? So, I just decided to put together these workshops. I mean, it kind of started at first down on the coast of having them at the beach because I knew people would be relaxed and do that and include the Gullah tradition. Um, that what is be- that? That's- yeah, the Gullah tradition, thank you, um, has to do with where our enslaved brothers and sisters were on the sea islands. Um, after emancipation, and they really maintained their culture from um, some of the west coast of Africa and the Gullah Geechee language and cultures, and it's really been studied. And um, a lot of that, you know, also led into jazz. Um, but some some really great traditions and sounds and stories and songs. And and so I also maintain, I'm not the expert of these places. I always bring in experts from the places so that we learn from others. But how do we um, infuse that and synthesize that and and help have it help us grow as humans and as singers? Um, so my 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 vacations are starting to seem a little uh, unambitious. And it's like we just go someplace to surf. What yeah. are we? What are we doing? <laughs> what if you what if you can't sing? Like I heard you say if you can talk you can sing. You can but talk you can sing. I know so many people who like and I I do it myself. Like I'm I I can carry a tune, but I'm not comfortable singing in front of people and I'll just say, "Oh, I can't sing." I'm um, so now, Joey, <laughs> <laughs> we're going to talk. <laughs> we're going to talk. You okay. Can. So you can. I mean, it's your choice how much you want to dive into it and how much you want to work on it and and be a part, but you can. And when you talk about music therapy, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's not just yeah. getting people over their fear of singing. That's, it's healing. It's a different type of healing. Is that well, right? it could certainly encompass all of that, just, you know, that comfortableness, you know, but when we talk about music therapy as really a licensed field, you know, there's the whole sound therapy, sound healing, sound journey kind of, you know, world, um, because we know 
music has its effect on us, right? Um, um, we also know it can have some dark sides, but we'll put that uh, aside for now. Um, for the most part, um, we're, we gravitate to music that makes us feel good, nostalgic, or yeah. it's going to help us get the vacuuming done or, you know, whatever, right? Um, romantic, you know, what have you. So, um, but as a field, um, it, it is geared toward people who need like extreme care for um, addiction, emotionally disturbed, geriatric, Alzheimer's, autism, physically handicapped, you know, for, for therapeutic use. Um, and there are dedicated ways to do that. And of course, there are lots of undedicated ways to do that and still always looking for new ways um, to do that too. And how does that work? Does it just like it's just sort of mentally soothes you or is there a physiological Physiological, part of that? neurological. Um, I'm not so well versed in the neurological. That's not ever been the end that I've worked in. Um, I mostly have worked in um, emotional and psychiatric um, and transpersonal, which would be the the psychology of the spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so it gets very, very specific. We could go down um, a rabbit hole, <laughs> and um, people really study that for sure. Um, but it, but that's why you have dedicated therapists that can do that, just like your physical therapist would know how to take care of you know, I don't know, a, a burn patient versus a amputee. I mean. Okay, but can, can, yeah. give us an example of like a, a day uh, at, at, in your role as a music therapist. So someone comes to you or you go to them, you got someone who has an addiction. What what happens? Okay, so so let me back up. Um, and so I don't work in direct care so much anymore. I do some, just to be um, um, updated, um, I do some continuing education for music therapists. Um, um Occasionally, I'll get a, an individual who wants to come to me. But when I was working as, um, like, I worked in a psychiatric hospital with addiction patients too um, earlier in my career, um, I would, so I'd be part of a team. So I'd meet with the psychiatrist and the social worker and the recreation therapist and the what have you. And so there would be a group plan. So I might have several groups a day as well as individuals. Um, so I, as a music therapist, I might do anything from, um, depending on the functioning level of the clients, if they were severely depressed and barely shuffling down the hall, I hate to say that, but that's often the case. Um, it may be as simple as having a sing along with rhythm instruments just to get them engaged, Mm, just something, something. Um, but here's where you need to know, like people often make, um, assumptions that if we just get uncle Johnny peppy enough, you know, he'll get over his depression. What can be very serious about things like depression is if, if so-and-so is operating here and you come up with the jollies right here, it, it suffocates them in a way Mm. have to really go down and kind of meet them where they are and bring them up and bring them up. Otherwise, it's the gap is too, too vast. Um, with, a, with addiction, particularly lots of, lots of getting them to talk about it. 
Um, so I might have them pick out songs back in the day. I, you know, I had a vast vinyl collection. Um, I do now again, but, um, at the hospital, we had that. And so I might have them pick out a song to play and relate how it pertained to a certain issue of the day. Um, and get the group to talk about it. I also worked with recovering addicts who were, you know, performing musicians. Very, very hard, very hard because they're just so used to being uh, in their whatever. We talked, uh, our our yeah. guest last week was a guy named Scott Metzger, who's a very well-known guitarist uh, in the um, psychedelic rock scene in the New York area. And he, uh, got sober 15 or so years ago. And he was telling us that he, his success, he could not have managed the, the success he's had, uh, if he'd still been consuming the way he had it. So it's the difference between a career or not for him. Yeah. Um, I love it. You know, I know we just lost Tina Turner, um, last, last week. Um, but I saw a quote by her, you know, where she really, um, after she left Ike, um, that she gathered her wits about her and put herself together and, and said she had a clear mind and she too, no drugs or alcohol, Mm -hmm. full focus. Yeah. Yeah. Shifting gears. I did not ask my Bobby McFerrin question. I guess you um, studied with him and uh, have performed with him. Tell us about that relationship. Um, Well, very delightful. Um, Another certainly penultimate point in my life. Um, He does um, this thing called Circle Songs and is still doing that. was done in upstate New York, which is where I met him initially. He's now out in San Francisco again. Um, um, so folks can look to that. There's some group things that go on if that's of interest to you. Um, that's how I met him initially. And circle singing is like group singing improvisationally. Yes. And he'll get everybody <laughs> singing. Um in soprano, alto, tenor, bass, if that makes any sense to you, or mm-hmm. more parts, and um, kind of like an, an instant chorus in harmony. Um, and so I studied that um, with him and improvisation, um, and also with um, one of his Voicestra members. He calls it the Voicestra, <laughs> Rhiannon. I did a deep dive um, study with her for mm. a year back in those days. And um, really helped launch me um, along in my teaching, um, which was super, um, as well as performing. And um, so then, you know, he was in Atlanta 2008, wait, 18? Wait, yeah, 2018. <laughs> Where are we? What's, what's time anyway? Um, and, um, and, you know, called on me to, you know, bring together some folks because um, he's always so inclusive. Um, Wow. Have to perform with him then here in my hometown of Atlanta, which was really great. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm afraid to ask this question because I'm, I'm, I have a feeling I'm going to come out on the wrong side of it. Um, I'm afraid to answer it. <laughs> so, so jo- <laughs> Joey um, uh, does herself a disservice by saying she can't sing. So um, 
when I historically my whole life, if I go to a concert of someone that I love, right? Say, for example, Bob Dylan. It never occurred to me to sing with him. I went to see him sing. When Joey goes to see her favorite bands, it's a sing-along. It's a sing-along for sure. <laughs> but you're singing with a group and, and am, you can't am, really am, be heard. <laughs> am I too, am I, what is it? Am I restrained? Am I, do I have to uncork something here so I can sing? <laughs> I, did, I actually was like, the first time I saw it, I was like, wait a second. If you're singing, you can't hear your favorite band sing. So why are you even here? And of course, it's for something different, community and fun and the and the spirit of the moment. But I was like, wait, what is everybody doing singing over top of their people? Where do you come out on that one? <laughs> okay, how's this working in the relationship? It's great. <laughs> We're fine. She's got a beautiful voice. So All Joe- right, that, that, was, that, that was actually a trick question. Yeah, there is no answer to it. Let, let's let's. So on your website, what's interesting is you talk about. Uh, social activism. I did not actually see that coming. Uh, you know, your your site is a lot resembles a performer's website, and then suddenly I'm sitting here reading about your grandmother being a suffragette in Philadelphia. So I gather um, you have again mixed music and uh, social issues and causes uh, as to be try, try and be an agent for change. So tell us about. So how you think about that stuff? Well, it really hit me. Um, um, was it 2016? See, I get my years mixed up. Um, when we had a certain election and um, I was performing and encouraging people to vote. <clears throat> and realized that, you know, thinking about it was my mother's mother who was the suffragette and was pregnant with my mother. And, and I knew there had been voter apathy and I'm like, this is crazy. Two generations and women were fighting for their own right to vote. We're not even talking about our friends of color, male or female. So I really started just encouraging people from the stage, like get out and vote. And I started singing things like um, Abraham, Martin and John and um, 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 you know, things, things that just pertain to our country that were near and dear to my heart, about love for my country. Cause I do love my country. And as things progressed, um, we know our country's had some, some trouble here and conflict. And I really realized um, that I couldn't keep quiet about it, that I had been more, a little bit too passive about it for my taste. I couldn't live with myself and that I had to be more vocal. Um, more vocal in many ways, <laughs> to use my voice in many ways. Um, so that's when Battle Cry came out. And my Battle Cry, um, it's interesting because I've had lots of um, interest from the military or other places. I get interesting, um, okay, um, or other, yes. And um, 
didn't know, didn't, didn't see that coming, but okay. But my battle cry is for social justice. Um, so that's my battle cry. Um, she has, Virginia has shared the stage with one of your, um, uh, favorite writers. I think Joey, Marianne Williamson. Yeah. I love her. Yeah. I really do. In fact, the song I wrote, Hear My Battle Cry, was based on a, one of my, the book I wrote about her, that I read about her. Wow. Um, okay. Yes. <laughs> inspired by her. That's in my liner notes. And I'm sorry, I forget um, which book it is of hers at the moment, but um, uh, so inspired by it. And it had, um, I had, yeah, shared it. I was on a, a podium, you know, with her like some weekend and um Yeah. Anyway, yes, so she's inspiring. great. Very inspiring woman and very yeah. clear. Yeah, yeah. I like her a lot. Yeah. So um, anyway, so so then, of course, you know, the, the CD came out in January by end of March. We're in lockdown. Um, I was supposed to do a tour through civil rights museums and um, as a way of also giving back there. We had some some things set up to do that. Um, those did not come to pass because of. COVID. And then by the time it made sense to even physically do that, the world had changed and that just was not the right fit. Um, so, um, but the CD's done well and some of the songs have become <laughs> really um, great standards for holidays and stuff. It's kind of strange, but um, <laughs> so I'm, I'm very glad to have done it and it's, it's served its time. And, and so all during COVID, I did like lots of consulting for social activists and, and helping bridge some gaps with artists and social activism and DEI issues and um, how to do that mindfully and, um, things like that. So it's, music is an agent for change, right? It, I mean, it really is. It it's, is. Um, and it if you think works. about it all through history too, like I think about, That's I grew right. up chanting, you know, like we would go to our meditation center and we would do yeah. a fast chant and yeah. you do that to purify your mind and your body and the environment right. around you. Yeah. And so it seems like that your whole life is sort of, um, music is your, is your acting force, your agent for change. I don't know how else to do it. <laughs> <laughs> and we hope for the best, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, you even think of Mahalia Jackson, you know, that Martin Luther King would call her up and say, give me a song. He'd be at a, at a depths of despair and they were buddies and he would call her up and she'd sing to him in the night. Wow. I remember years ago just noticing, I was like, it's music is one of the few things in my life that can make me feel the way another person can make me feel. Like it can elicit that sort of strong emotion. And there, I can't really think of anything else that that can do that in the same way. Like it can make me feel intense love and your garden. Become, I think my gar your garden. No. <laughs> now, yeah, my garden does. It does. That's it, great. Yeah. 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 It lights my soul. All right. F favorite all time uh, jazz jazz singer singer Abby Lincoln. <laughs> okay, that's new to me. We'll have to well, check her out. You need to check her out. She too was a very spiritual and social activist human, and 
my third album, I did all Abby Lincoln covers because she just is so inspiring. So please do check her out. Yes. Favorite favorite all time jazz musician. Ooh, you know the first my, one that comes to mind. I would say Herbie Hancock. Mm. Mm. Just genius. Can't yeah. go wrong there, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's the best book you've read about music? Oh, or that's music, or that's music adjacent that people might be interested in. Um. Gosh, that's a tough one. All right, I've got I've got one for you here. I've got one for you here that that I'm not recommending because I haven't read it yet. But a friend gave it to me and he's a musician. He's a very good musician and he insists that I need to read it. It's called The Music Lesson by Victor Wooten. Okay. he says. And on it's it's the subtitle is A Spiritual Search for Growth Through Music. It's on my pile right here. All right. (laughs) The Music Lesson. Well, I'm really keen to read Tina Turner's um, biography. As soon as you're done tickled, right? After, <laughs> after you as soon that. as I've read tickled, <laughs> exactly. Um, Mickey Hart has a good one on drumming and rhythm. Okay. There's also um, a soprano on her head, which is a really old, old book. But for the singers out there, if you're interested, is a really great, great one. Um, you know, I, there's so many, so, so many. And I saved this for the end, just because if you answer it wrong, we'd have had problems. Uh, Bob, <laughs> Dil- Bo- Bob Dylan, yay or nay? Oh, yay. All right, good. Thank God. <laughs> right. We would have had to cut it off right there. <laughs> Virginia. He's in the bardic tradition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Right. Yeah, I yeah. wrote a. I wrote a paper in um, college. I somehow convinced a sociology professor to let me write a paper comparing a Bob Dylan concert to a religious revival. (laughs) And um, it was probably the best thing I wrote in sociology overall, just because I was so into the subject. And I also was like, I can't believe they're letting me do this. Um, (laughs) Anyway, it's been a thrill to have you. Listeners. Uh, Virginia Shank's uh, website is Virginia, and then Shank is spelled S-C-H-E-N-C-K, virginiashank.com. You can go check her out there. Check out her music. Check out Singing Journeys, because we'll meet you. Where are we going to meet everybody, Joey? Are we going to be <laughs> Ghost Ranch or Times Square? Times I mean, Square Rock Ledge. I think Rock Ledge makes sense, right? Rock like, Ledge. Middle we'll of host the a Singing Journey. Can uh, we probably should. Great. Yeah, and you can see a lot about all her music on here too, uh, which is just delightful. This is um, I'm kind of uh, I'm blown away of uh, that you've somehow managed to make music part of every single facet of your life, even the parts that it doesn't didn't seem obvious. So um, kudos, and it's an example for the rest of us that. You know, you like you said at the beginning, you don't even have to put your passion in a box. You can make it everything you do. Uh, And it's just kind of mind blowing um, to meet someone who's been able to do that and tell us how to do it. 
Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, I've loved being on your show and I'm tickled, tickled <laughs> pink, and I'm delighted to be here. So thanks so much for the invitation and the time. Thanks, Virginia. Thank you. Hey. Bye-bye. Bye. So that is uh, following your passion for anyone for sure. who's listening or your tickle. Um, she made it her job. She made it her side job. She made it her side side job. Uh, <laughs> music everywhere. It's kind of amazing. Diving in head first, right? And those uh, the singing journeys, um, I would be nervous myself, right? But it's like... <laughs> It sounds so great, like to go somewhere with a group of people and sing together. Well, like, we not sang. As a choir. We sang at home, like you know. Betty would have us. We sang in car rides when we would go to my grandmother's house. You know, we'd have two hours in the car, and and we would sing. That's how she would keep us entertained, and you know. And then we got into chanting when I was, I guess, nine. So. I always sing, just not necessarily. I did for a very brief period of time when people could hear me. I did some for, you know, acting stuff. It's nerve wracking. You're so vulnerable singing in front of people. It was, it was, a, yeah, no, kudos to anyone who can, who does it. Like it, it takes guts, I think. But also just like, um, you know, helps you to let go, I guess. I'm not, I'm yeah. not a singer, never really sung. As, and like I said earlier, at concerts, it wasn't because I was embarrassed to sing. I just didn't think, uh, it was like, I want, I'm not here to sing. No, uh, I've always sung. Right? Yeah. All right, uh, listeners, Virginia Shank, check out her stuff. Um, it's, uh, it's just a really great career. She's, um, it's all music all the time, both as a entertainment, as uh, travel, as healing, as everything. It's right. Like you said, Joey, it's like she realized the power of it and is just sort of using it everywhere she turns. All right. So um, I've got one for you here. It's not a um, typical one. Uh, it is. But it goes to something that I um, have talked about since season one that we don't want to dissect the universe. Uh, we want to experience it. Uh, and it's from our old friend, Ramesh Balsakar, this beautiful, delightful little book called Meaningful Trivialities from the Source. And it's a bit of a mind bender to think about it. So I'm going to read it out and I want you to tell me what you think of it. Okay. okay. It's, a, it's a short quote. In spite of all the theories, equations, and symbols of the scientist, the unknown remains unknown. <laughs> well, I mean, part of it is we still don't quite know what's going on here, do we? <laughs> I mean, we know we're here. We've got that much covered. But uh, what's actually going on here is still a bit of a mystery. Right. And I think I think one of the interesting points he's making there is, you know, the the more traditional way to say it is you don't know what you don't know. So when you find something out, that doesn't mean you've found everything out. It only means you found something out, maybe. <laughs> and what you don't know remains unknown to you. So I think he's talking a little about, bit about the futility 
of um, certain kinds of our quests for knowledge. But, you know, the unknown is an immovable thing. You cannot convert it to the known. Well, because the known can only come through our senses, right? So if you're dealing with something that transcend the sen- transcends, transcends the senses, then it's going to remain unknown to us, essentially, right? Right, always. In the, in the manifestation, at least. So, listeners, I have some uh, sad news combined with some happy news. Uh, after last week's episode, uh, Matt, the great Matt McButter... Uh, informed me that um, it was time for him to um, uh, focus his energies on some other things in his life. And he has retired as uh, my official co-host. The, this podcast racket is grueling. It's a grueling gig. And he's got shoes to buy and dinner plates to fill. So he's off with some other endeavors. We hope to see him on the air again as co-host emeritus. Uh, but for now, he's in semi-retirement. Thank you, Matt, for both conceiving of this podcast with me uh, from the very first day. Uh, actually, Matt and I were sitting there. It was in 2020. And we were talking to each other one day uh, about various things that were interesting to us. And we sort of said, well, what should this, you know, how do we, how do we do a podcast? And Matt looked at me and said, I think we're doing it right now. (laughs) And all we have to do is hit record. (laughs) And, uh, from that moment on, uh, we, we did more than a hundred episodes, uh, together over three years. Uh, and, um, Matt and I were great, great friends in high school and, uh, spent some time when he was in New York after that, but he's been back in Toronto for quite some time now. And the podcast gave us a chance to uh, reacquaint and reignite the friendship that we've had for going on now 40 years, 40-ish, 30-something. Uh, so it was a thrill. Thanks, Matt, for all of it. Uh, it was a blast. Uh, the good news about his quitting is that I found a replacement co-host immediately. Joey of Rockledge <laughs> is sitting right there. Uh, I have a little more control over her. She's in the next room. <laughs> and um, we hope to bring uh, our own dynamic to uh, interviews and shows going forward. Uh, so uh, what I would like to officially welcome to uh, the show my new co-host, Joey of Rockledge. Thank you, Def. You're not the boss of me. <laughs> so, on which note, we're going to end with some sweet, sweet Oriabindo insight once again. So, I came across this one. I was looking for something on music. I try to do this with each uh, guest, find something that's a little apropos. And uh, I'll have to give it a bit of a lead in. You know, we talk about the truth all the time. Joey and I were talking this morning about no one has uh, a monopoly on the truth. And the reason is, is because no one actually knows the truth because you only know things from your own point of view. I'm not talking about whether one plus one equals two 
or whether it rained yesterday or not. I'm talking about what the absolute truth is. And uh, the truth is one, the truth is now, right? No one can own it or have exclusive access to it because um, you only have your point of view. And the truth is when all the points of views get harmonized, right? That's the truth. Or as my friend Sri Aurobindo would say, the world as God made it, as God has made it, is not a rigid exercise in logic, but like a strain of music, an infinite harmony of many diversities. You know, like the kind that Virginia Schenck puts out there for our enjoyment, right? Harmony and diversity, people. Amen. <laughs> There's my new co-host, right? She's already just adding to the conversation. <laughs> Thank you, Joey. Thank you, listeners. Thank you, Virginia. We will be back with you in a week. Bye-bye. At the present moment, traveling town to town, mystery of the motion. Right here, right now. Right here, right now. Whoa, right here, right now. You've been listening to How to Tickle Yourself with your hosts, Duff McDonald and Matt McButter. You can help us by liking, subscribing, and sharing this podcast with others. You can talk to us and see what else is happening on Instagram and Facebook at How to Tickle Yourself. This program was recorded in Studio B of the historic Rockledge Recording Studio and the Tunnel Under Arundel. Right here, right now, our original 16-part theme music was written and recorded by the legendary Paul Reddick and Kyle Ferguson of the Sidemen with the brilliant Steve Mariner on bass and drums and in the mixing room. The podcast is produced and distributed by Storic Media. Our editor is Andrew Steiner. Our coordinator is Samantha Abramovitz. Our producers are Kristen Verbitsky and Chuck LaBella. For more information, visit storicmedia.com. That's S-T-O-R-I-C media.com. My love, my dear. Oh, everything's good.